Hey, I'm Jenny Barr. And I'm Kim Godfrey. We're friends, former teachers, and homeschool moms ourselves who host the Homeschool Well podcast. We talk about topics that are important to homeschool moms so that you can be your child's best teacher. Hey, homeschool mom, before we start the show today, we wanted to tell you about a free resource we have to share with you, especially if you're new to homeschooling and need some tips to infuse into your school days, or maybe you've been homeschooling for a little while and just need some fresh ideas to have easier days. Well, we have a free guide for you called 30 Practical Tips to Be Your Child's Best Teacher. It has 10 tips for how to teach well, 10 tips to help your child learn well, and 10 tips for you mom so that you can be well while you are doing this homeschooling journey. To get this free guide after the show, go to the homeschoolwell.com tips. We know this practical and encouraging advice will give you confidence to help your homeschool thrive. Pastor and Captain Ryan Saul is on the podcast today because he is a foraging expert And I was lucky enough to take a class of his. And during the foraging class, I kept thinking how cool it would be for my kids when they were homeschooled to experience that and have the skill of foraging. So after the class, I spoke to him and convinced him to be on our podcast. And of course, I had to have his sweet daughter, Naomi, who is uh, his really partner in his work efforts when he is leading foraging classes and also fishing charters. And she was so fun on the foraging trip. So I asked if she could join us on the podcast. So I hope that you all learn a lot from his expertise and start to look at the yards around you and the plants that are growing at the park around you. I hope that you will look at them in a whole new light. So sit back and take a listen and get inspired to go out and forage during your homeschool day. Welcome to our latest episode of the Homeschool Well podcast, where we're so excited to have the dad-daughter guests from Venture Outside Florida, Ryan and Naomi Saul, and they're going to introduce themselves and we're going to get into some seriously cool things related to being outside in Florida. Ryan, tell your story and how you got into this business. I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah, thank you. We're excited about being here with you. So I'm Ryan and this is my daughter, Naomi. And uh, well, you'll hear about all that we do, but Naomi's kind of my sidekick with a lot of the outdoor stuff. Yeah, I do a lot with him. What a special thing for you too, Ryan, to be able to have, you know, her as your partner like that. It really is. First of all, I'm a pastor. And um, as a pastor, uh, I've been a pastor for 13 or 14 years. and, And with that, I've always needed to supplement my income in different ways. And I I grew up hunting and fishing. So um, fishing was kind of the, uh, just the thing that made sense. So I've done a lot of commercial fishing and stuff like that. It was seven or eight years ago when I first got interested in foraging was uh, a friend of mine and I were sitting, we were working together and we were sitting in the office and just kind of had this idea, this, you know, I wonder how long we could go uh, by just foraging and hunting and, you know, not shopping for groceries or anything like that. How long could we re- truly live off the land? Um, I don't remember how the conversation started, but that's what we got to. 
And um, we ended up deciding there on that day, it was the last day of May. We decided, well, let's start tomorrow and let's do it for a month. Let's make a commitment to do it for a month. And the first, when we first started, we had no prior foraging knowledge. We didn't know anything. We both of us hunted and fished, but we didn't know anything about foraging. So we are starting from scratch on day one. And, and at that, we've had off and on, we've had gardens and stuff like that. But at the time, neither of us had anything. So uh, we were completely left up to figuring out how to do it. So the, the first day you mentioned Spanish needle, that was the Spanish needle was the very first wild edible that we found. And we learned how to use Google really quick to just learn. And we ended up finding Spanish needle in the parking lot at the office. And I remember the first time we ate it, it being is kind of like mixed emotions because I was it was exciting that there was something edible, but it it was kind of sad that it was so gross to eat. <laughs> so we we're trying yeah. to figure out. Yeah, it's very bitter. It's very hard to eat, but um, but well, it's good it for has, you. You know, that's the plant that has those little skinny stickies that stick to your pants, right? It like does, yeah. I ate the leaves and that's what you, you know, that's kind of the rule of thumb with almost all forage, not just foraging, but um, just eating plants in general, whether it's, you know, something you've grown in your garden is, you know, you generally eat, if it's something that you eat the leaf of, you eat the younger tender leaf. That's just, that's always how you do it. So that's what we did. We ate the leaves and um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was a start. And then the next thing we ended up learning about was Smilax and um, Smilax was kind of a game changer. When we ate that, Smilax is actually, I, I enjoy eating Smilax. So when we found that and when we ate that, it changed. It, that was when we realized we could, we could do it. A couple of weeks ago, I went hiking in the panhandle of Florida and mm -hmm. there so much of it but I couldn't really find the tender end part shoot like you said until oh, like yeah. the last day that I was there and I found like two or three of them I felt like a boss I'm like yeah I'm gonna take this <laughs> and it was, awesome. it was really good they're kind of like green beans really yeah that's how I always describe them like green beans or some I've heard people describe them as asparagus kind of but um yeah I love Smilax and and it was cool when we discovered that that kind of gave us a lot of momentum um and then from that point on we just we would spend our lunch hour in the woods and we would be walking you know we'd go in the woods behind the office and walk wherever we could and just learn and and if we saw something we didn't recognize we would google it and then um figure out you know through a series of searches we'd figure out if it was edible or something that we could that we could use and that's that's how we got started and through that you end up you know it, it's kind of the the whole necessity thing and and through the necessity you start to learn what what's available and it really is amazing it's absolutely amazing what is truly available here locally not just here but wherever you're at locally the the abundance of food it's it's pretty awesome yeah because god made it that way and we're not talking about how he went into the woods miles away when we went to the foraging class we were at a park the whole community would could survive off of what's found here in this park and and in our front yards what do people need to stop doing with their front yards you go ahead yeah spraying roundup on them <laughs> yeah the, the, the whole idea of the of the 
you know, HOA approved manicured front yard is, is just so devastating to the, the, all the ecology around us. I live near, right near the lake and it's surrounded by developments that are HOAs that are just filling the sewers with Roundup and all that stuff gets into the lake and it just, it just destroys, you know, it's so destructive and, and not only is it destructive, it's so wasteful. Cause we, I mean, if you would think about the abundance that we all, that all of us have in our yards, but we're told <laughs> by the HOA or we're, we're told by, you know, the, the lawn guy that comes by and drops off a pamphlet or whatever, that these things are all horrible and they're destructive. And, but the reality is, is that they're full of life and they're nutritious and they're way better than the St. Augustine grass growing in your yard. So tell us, um, so when people spray, what they really are trying to get rid of a lot of the times is dollar weed. And that was another right. thing that you had us eat. So yep. Naomi, do you like dollar weed? Um, not that much. <laughs> but then um, I saw oxalis. Oxalis. It's just, I like the lemon taste of the oxalis. Yeah. Like, because most of the other ones we looked at were like bitter. Also tell how you walked through on the trail that day and it was um sword fern i think sword fern like you pull up the things coming out from the ground and normally they would have these little like like balls that have like water in it and it's like a water chestnut sort of but it's like really earthy yeah and then the other one really the other one is florida betony florida betony which um they grow they store water like the little tubers, they store water for the whole plant for like the roots and stuff. And then they like it grows big to look like grubs. Yeah. And grubs. it's like really crispy. It's also like the sword fern. Yeah. So those were the two things that you actually fed me, Naomi. And I was like, okay, this sweet girl's give me this. I better eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was um the sword fern was like a water chestnut for sure. And I did yeah. see how you, if you were dehydrated and you didn't have any water, how that would be such a benefit, right? To find, an, I mean, there was a, probably six in that one plant that you pulled up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the Florida Betony, I think you guys said that that wasn't even the right season for it. It's still a little early. We're, we're actually just getting into that now. This, like, we're, we're just getting into the good season because with the class that we had, we, I don't, I don't know. I think we found a couple small tubers but this last one that we had we looked in the same spot and they were getting bigger yeah we found a so. bigger tuber so now when you guys foraged so when you had this whole month-long experience which i have to say that's such a man challenge right like <laughs> like i could just picture you guys as little boys doing that but as grown men i think that's even better uh so did you go like every day or could you store things in the refrigerator or how did that work no, um, well, we went every day for the most part. I think that, you know, every now and then if we would find, Smilax was really the thing that we would find in abundance. We would store it like as if we were canning it. During that month, our family and my in-laws went down to the Keys for a week. It was cool because um, where we were staying at in the Keys, there was a bunch of mango trees and coconut trees. So we still had the, I mean, down there even, there's still Smilax and, and Spanish needle and penny wart and everything else. 
but then it was it was kind of cool to be able to get a little bit more variety at, at the same time. One thing that you said to me that I think was super powerful is that the world tries to get us into this fear uh, mindset. And, you know, it was funny when I told my husband about the class, he immediately went to that, that like, well, be careful, make sure you know exactly what it is so you don't get poisoned. And yeah. you said in the class, like, you might, yeah, sure. There's things that are poisonous, but more often than not, you might just get a stomachache. There's a saying with, uh, like with mushroom hunting. So I, I got into, I started doing a lot of mushroom hunting. I mean, it's just kind of a natural progression. Like you get into foraging, you learn how to forage, and then you want variety. Then you want to, you know, if you're like mushrooms and Florida, there's 91 different edible varieties of mushrooms in Florida. Wow. 91. Um, yeah, so there's 91 edible mushrooms. Uh-huh. How much not edible mushrooms are there? There, I don't know. There's a lot of not edible mushrooms too, but but there's question. 91 that are edible. But that's that's the whole point is that. Yeah. Uh, so there's a saying in in mushroom hunting where they say there's there are old mushroom hunters and there's bold mushroom hunters, but there's no old bold mushroom hunters. <laughs> but I think that there has to be a little bit of a balance in that because. There has to be a little bit of boldness to be willing to try things, but even in mushroom hunting, that's that's another one that I had when I started doing that. Man, I had people from all over the place saying, "You don't, you know, you're gonna die. Don't do that. You don't know what you're eating," but you do know what you're eating. That's the that's the whole thing. Is it's there are easy ways to identify everything, and so instead of being scared out of it and and getting away from it altogether. Um, I would rather do a little bit of research and just learn and educate myself and I just educate my kids on what you can eat. Uh, and then you find out that, um, you know, that those mushrooms that are growing in your yard might actually be become your new favorite mushroom. Uh, that's what ended up happening with us. There's we have uh, there's one type that grows here that's called a ringless honey mushroom. And in the fall, it'll be everywhere. I know you've seen it. It, it grows in these huge clusters. Um, and it grows on the ground and it's, it's my wife's favorite wild mushroom to eat. They're, they're excellent. And you see them all over the place, but I've grown up my whole life kicking these things over when I see them, but, and then you end up realizing that it's actually, not only is it food value, is it good food, but it's, it's actually very good to eat. Like it's great to eat. It has the word honey in the name. And so- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna have to have the name honey in it if <laughs> people have tried it. The other thing too is the um like berries. You know, I, I yeah. you just you, you grow up as a kid being told don't ever eat wild berries because they're all poisonous and they'll all kill you. But that's that's just not the truth. There's we here in Florida, this is something I didn't know growing up. I knew that we had blackberries, but I didn't know that blueberries grew here. I didn't know that uh, that um uh, you know, all just all the different berries that we have that grow. Like I, I wasn't aware of that. And um, then as you start to learn and it, it happened with us as we're walking through the woods, learning how to forage. And it's like, God, that berry looks a lot like a blueberry. So then, you know, we start to Google it. it turns out blueberries grow here, but then you still have to take that bold step of, am I going to try this or not? You got to do your research and know what you're looking at. Learn from right. other people but open your mind to that and your kids. I mean, the whole concept of where our food comes from, you know, it's like sad that 
people don't know what a blackberry plant looks like and they're all over it's it's so strange to me how we have you know we we live in such a obviously a privileged country like we're very fortunate with what we have we're the I don't think that if you've never traveled outside the U.S., you don't really realize um, how accessible everything is, uh, the grocery store, all of that. Um, but you, when you go to visit other countries, like my, my parents are missionaries in Kenya. And when you go to visit Kenya, I mean, there's a there's a store nearby the village that they live. I mean, not that close, but it's it's nearby, but it's it's hardly used by the majority of the people because the majority of the people are eating what they are finding locally they all like in the village where my parents live they all everybody has gardens and then everybody knows how to forage locally and and um because that's uh, that's like what we were talking about earlier that's the way that the lord has designed it that the lord has uh and one of the one of the many ways that he's provided for us is by sustaining us in our practical needs um, and he's given us every everything that we need is found here. Not only food, but um, the medicinal value of plants as well, which is something yeah. that I'm still like I'm still learning that I'm still getting into that. But I'm because well, with everything that we've gone through in the last few years, I'm starting to become more and more interested in what kind of medicine is available outside my front door, rather than trusting somebody in a coat in a lab to. Exactly. put something together like a synthetic version of it and isn't it amazing how god makes the fruit and vegetables seasonal so like for example oranges we need that extra vitamin c and they mm -hmm. become ripe and filled with vitamin c in the winter when we yeah. need it right yeah so yeah and, it, and even i i mean if we really dove further into that and investigated that more i think we'd be really amazed at how precise our needs are met on, on a seasonal basis by what's available outside the front door. It's exciting stuff for sure. And, but I want you to tell me how you made bread or flour. Yeah. So with, with the bread, so that, that was really cool. Again, it shows that how quickly we can learn, you know, we started, we went from day one, identifying Spanish needle and knowing nothing else. And then a few weeks into it, I, we, we came, we were at Anderson Park and again in Tarpon Springs and um, found a bunch of uh, wild banana trees and they had racks of bananas on them and they were, the bananas were green. And my, my parents living in Kenya, they, the, the village that they live in is loaded with banana trees. And I remember when we had been there before, um, they would make a dish with the they would take the green bananas, the unripe bananas, they would chop them up in, in small pieces and then they would cook them. They'd make like a, like a stew with the bananas and tomatoes. And the bananas are, the unripe green bananas are a lot like potatoes. Like they're very starchy and um, you can cook them any way that you would cook potatoes. So we brought home a rack of these bananas and I, right away I, I cut them up and made fries with them like french fries and i took them to the cheese grater and made um hash browns with them but i wanted to make banana chips also so i i sliced them up in in little banana chip slices and put them in the dehydrator and i forgot about it i walked away i forgot about it came back later on that evening and they were 
as dry as could be. And I took one of those banana chips and, and just broke it and it just crumbled into powder. So I took, I, I was trying to figure out what I could do with it. So I took all of those chips and I threw it in the food processor and ended up making banana flour with it. So then I took that banana flour, I mixed it with, with an egg and a little bit of water. And then we started making bread with it, flatbread with it. So just within a few weeks, three, three weeks, I think, of starting from day one, knowing nothing, we're now we're making bread and fries and hash browns. And um, it's just really cool. And then you can take those racks of bananas and you can hang them up in your, well, I, I would hang them up outside because they'll get fruit flies, but you can hang them up. And then, you know, when those, when those wild bananas get ripe, they're unlike any banana you've ever had at the store was there a flour to be made from was it cattails cattails you can also make flour um you can make it from the roots you can dehydrate them as well and you can make flour out of those another thing that you can make flour out of which is a little harder for us in florida is acorns um you can make acorn flour but our acorns that we have here are so small it's pretty tedious it's a lot of work if you go up north and you get the golf ball size acorns and better it makes a little bit easier work but it, so in that in like the foraging community um those three things are probably the most common for flour acorns cattails and bananas all of those things can be found in the park down the street from you and yeah. i'll tell you this the banana flour a couple years ago i i made a big jar of it probably five pounds of banana flour which only, it doesn't take a lot of work. You peel the bananas, put them in the dehydrator and put them in the food processor. And I made uh, maybe five pounds, maybe a little bit more. And shortly after that, I was at Whole Foods and I came across uh, organic banana flour in the Whole Foods in the, in the aisle. And it was like $37 a pound for the banana flour. $7 a pound. Yeah, and I had just I just made five pounds for free with about thirty minutes of work. That is so amazing. Yeah, and it lasts like flour does. Yeah, it'll it'll hold on the shelf because you you dehydrate it, so you there's no moisture in it, so it'll it'll last for a while. It'll last long enough to use it. I've never I've never had it go bad. All right, so all of this fear that we have, it's yeah. like we don't have to feel that way. No, and. It's super fun to go out and find this stuff, but also you can use it um, in your own yard. You can garden all of these things um, mm -hmm. that are native, and then you're not needing to like throw a bunch of fertilizer and a, a lot of work. I mean, you know, a lot of these things, they're just growing. I had some purslane growing yeah. in another pot that had a different plant in it. Uh -huh. And after your class, I was like, okay, I'm not going to pull that out and kill it. I'm going to pull it out of there. And I just transferred it right away into my little, I have a little courtyard garden and I transferred it in there. It didn't even, you know, usually when you transfer a plant like that, um, you know, it stocks it. All I did was water it. It didn't even wilt. Yeah, like awesome. it's still going. And I'm like, okay, now my next thing is I need to figure out how to cook that stuff and get brave with it. <laughs> yeah, purslane's another one that is pretty common. And we have, we also have sea purslane that we find out on the islands here. 
And so I, I do charters sometimes where I do like a coastal foraging trip where I'll take people out to the islands and forage out there. And um, some, if it's a bigger island, it'll have all the stuff that we've found, the Spanish needle and the Smilax and Pennywort and everything. But then there'll be more out there too. There's the, there's the sea purslane and then, um, and then you just get right in the water and there's, you know, all kinds of, uh, well, yeah, there's seaweed. There's certain types of seaweed that you can eat which are really good because they're already, they've been brined. <laughs> so they've been in the so salt water. Stuff, man. Such good yeah. stuff too from the ocean. And then you caught, you, you were telling me how you had a couple who did that. You, they went out to the island and you guys yeah. caught all the stuff and cooked it right there and ate it right there. Yep. Yeah. Made, made a nice big lunch on the island. That is so cool. Yeah. Well, you need is a camp stove. Yeah, I have a little, that's, I have a little one that I keep in my boat. So you do that um, as like a charter kind of thing, mm -hmm. but you, probably you could always set that up maybe as a class too, if there was a small group, like, you know, homeschool family that wanted to do something like that. Yeah, I did a class. Um, my older kids go to a Christian school in Clearwater and I took their um, photography class out on a trip and Part of it was going to the island and looking around like that. Nice. These homeschool families, like how can you see it being something um, that could help them, especially in relation to uh, science? And we were talking before I started the recording about creation science and yeah. how um, how foraging goes right along with, you know, God made the plants on what day? What day? Naomi says the fourth day. I was gonna say is Naomi probably knows there we go <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a comforting feeling I, I think about it because I, I have Naomi's my youngest of four kids and um they they've all you know Naomi and my oldest are a lot more interested in this and then hunting and fishing as well but I've taken them all through it all and e even just even what we learned in that class alone would be enough that you know if God forbid tomorrow's the day that the grocery stores are no more and, you know, we're all left to our own whatever, which it seems like after what, you know, what we went through with COVID and everything, it seems like that's a lot more of a reality than I think we ever thought of before. Uh, but if that were to happen, I know that my kids would survive, like food wouldn't be a problem for them. And like doing that, like just what we learned in that class alone would be enough yeah. to sustain anybody and for indefinitely. Yeah, I agree with you. Cause not only that, these are weed things that grow so easily. I mean, you know, we, they, the right. world is weeds, but they're, you don't just eat it. It's gone. You know, they propagate themselves and, um, it's just like constantly come you know a, a bounty god's plan I, in action i will let me add this real quick when i did that whenever i've done several of those month-long challenges and i did one that was the longest i ever did was four months um wow. and you know your relationship with food changes completely um you know you're you're not bound by a clock anymore you're not really eating the the typical breakfast lunch dinner I think it's a lot more of a, of a natural way of eating where you're just eating when you're hungry. I think that that's really how we, it's probably the healthier way to eat is just if you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Um, but obviously you're, you're consuming a whole lot less calories 
and, and, and you're consuming zero processed foods, zero sugar. I, I cut all of that out. Any, anytime I've done one of these challenges, the first few days are brutal because um, your body's detoxing of all that stuff. But as soon as you settle into it, you wake up day four, day five. And during the times that I'm eating that way, I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. And I'm never hungry. I'm always content. I sleep better than I've ever slept. Like everything, everything improves by making that change. Um, and, Amazing. you know, sadly, we just, we, I think we live in a world that discourages that so much. Well, and a lot of it is people just don't know. And so that's why we're doing this, right? We're getting the word yeah. out and encouraging people to do it because not only, uh, like you said, your body felt better, you slept better, but mm -hmm. how fascinating that you're saying you had a better relationship with food. Yeah. Like that's a serious thing for um, a lot of people that, um, you know, cravings, it's not just mental or it's not just physical. It's a mental thing sometimes where you think, oh, I have to eat like whatever, all this ice cream or burger, or just saying a couple of things that I've been craving. Well, lately. <laughs> and you, you think about, you think about the, really the bondage that we have to that, like the, like, that's not a good thing. You know, that's, you're, you have become a slave to whatever that is to where you have, you, you've given control over to something else. And that's, we're, we're all guilty that's, of it, but it's not a good yeah. thing. That's a power statement right there. We need to say that again. Uh, yeah, just that you're, you're enslaved to whatever that might be, whatever that, especially the cravings and the, uh, and, and like you said, it's not, it's not so much a physical craving as it is a mental craving. And you've, you've given control over to something else rather than maintaining that control and rather, and not having self-control. Um, and we live in a culture that's so indulgent already. So mm -hmm. instead of, instead of the culture coming alongside and trying to encourage you to do what's right now, the culture saying, do what feels good rather than what's right. And it just drives you further down that hole. Whew, definitely not God's plan. And no. I just, again, that is so fascinating. You felt the best you ever felt when you were yeah. in this and slept the best. And uh, so what more proof do we need? We all need to start with the month challenge of foraging. It's <laughs> fun. We're gonna, we're gonna wait for you to sell all this stuff, Ryan, because um, <laughs> if we don't wanna do the work, but we want the food, that might be a good <laughs> little shop for you to open. <laughs> that'd be a fun, that'd be kind of a fun garden, get a plot of land and just let the weeds grow. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm, I feel so much better about my garden because this has been a year where I just have ignored everything. But yeah. right, it's work and like to figure out what your soil needs and you know, all that stuff. And these plants, hello, they're native. They're growing wild. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to send people to your contacts. So all of okay. this will be in the show notes. Caught, not yeah. bought on Instagram. Yeah. On Instagram, it's also Venture Outside FL. And then awesome. Facebook, it's Venture Outside Florida. Awesome. And they can contact you through any of those social yep. media outlets. Yeah. Um, to set something up and then look for your more scheduled classes uh, probably in the fall. 
yeah, if there is anybody that wants to put a class together now, I'd be more than happy to do that. We live in such a cool area that you could do this year round. Um, spring and fall is when you're going to find the most abundance, but you got to survive in summer too. So there's, there's plenty of stuff out there. So it's just super fascinating and I appreciate you guys being on so much. Thank you, Naomi, for, uh, she was such a trooper come right home from school and came <laughs> on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Vice, you have one more nugget of wisdom for the kids out there in relation to foraging. Should they be scared or should they just do some research and try it? Probably, yeah, do some research and try it. Just get oh. outside. A big yeah, part just, of this, just get outside. Because yeah, you need to be outside more for like such stuff I need. The vitamin that comes from the sun? <laughs> yeah. The vitamin. That's vitamin D. <laughs> no. No. Oh, yeah, you're right, I think. Vitamin D comes from getting sunshine exposure. And so that's yeah. another thing you're doing when you're venturing outside to uh, forage is your giving yourself some vitamin D. Good, smart yep. thing. So we will put all of your contact information in the show notes, and then they can have more of a uh, direct line to contacting you and setting something up. Yeah, it'd be great. All right. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much again. Yeah. And thanks, Kim. We will see you outside. Yeah, we will soon. Yeah. We just wanted to take a quick minute to remind you about that free gift we have for you, the 30 practical tips to be your child's best teacher. Just go to the homeschool.com slash tips to download the guide now for yourself. Are you looking for a place to connect with other homeschool moms? Well, we have a platform where members gather to support each other throughout their homeschool journeys. Moms just like you. We even have a spot for your kids to interact online in privacy and safety. So head over there and start creating community. The homeschoolwell.com.